Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to episode 10, season 1 of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. This is going to be the final episode of season 1. I'm going to take a break for a little bit and then I'll be right back pretty shortly with season 2. I'm going to have some awesome guests lined up, um, many of them listener suggested and if you do have any suggestions for guests, let me know. But today we have an extra special crossover podcast episode. So I have with me today the hosts of Sexy Meat Talks, which is another Saigon podcast. I have with me Josh and Mark, and we're going to talk to them um, about their background in Saigon, how they've ended up here. We're going to talk about their careers here in Saigon. We're going to talk as well about their podcast, Sexy Meat Talks, which if you haven't checked it out, make sure you have a listen. And uh, we're overall generally going to have a bit of a banter. So thank you very much for joining me today. Absolutely, thank you. So Mark here is the founder of Quan Uu and Beer Craft, yep. which are uh, two of my favourite places to go in, in Saigon for sure. And so tell me a bit about your background. Where are you from? How did you end up in Saigon? Okay, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from Chicago, actually a small northwest suburb of Chicago, but... Chicago's easier to say because everyone knows where that is. Um, and uh, or what brought me out here, out to Vietnam, um, I guess originally is a, a childhood friend of mine was out here doing business for years, and I always kept in touch with him. And um, 
he brought a friend of his back to Chicago um, in 2009, and that's my business partner, Tim Scott. Um, they, they, he was just visiting home, and Tim was coming to town because he wanted to go to Lollapalooza. He had, you know, living in Vietnam, he couldn't get his share of music. And uh, that was my original connection to Vietnam. And how it worked was I, I met Tim, uh, we, and Jake was in town, and, uh, yeah, we went to Lollapalooza and barbecued together. And I, no idea I'd ever go to Vietnam, or even on a vacation at that point. But about a year later, uh, my friend Jake, you know, through Skype, you know, convinced me, get over here, you'll love it, you know, check it out. You know, so I'm like... It was expensive. I had a modest income back home, but I, I took me a little while to save up for it and make the trip. And uh, it was 2010, and I, I did love it. I, I went to central Vietnam uh, with Da Nang, Hue, Hoi An, and it was just a two-week vacation. And I also met met Tim. Um, still no no plans to move out here. It was just uh, I fell in love with the country, though. Uh, back in the states and yeah and i think all my friends are like you haven't stopped talking about vietnam what is wrong with you i'm like you just have to experience it the energy the vibe the feel and, and it was it was i i i still didn't know know when i was going to go back to vietnam or if i ever would but then my buddy jake uh again got me out to vietnam he was getting married and i'm like i gotta be at your wedding dude i'm you know so Came out for two weeks, all in Saigon that time. Um, I stayed at my buddy Jake's house. And for his wedding, um, this is the moment when, when I first started thinking about moving out here. He, uh, he was having a dinner on the Thursday night before his wedding on the weekend. Because he, he had 10 family members, mom, dad, aunties, cousins, nieces, nephews. I don't know, all kinds of family in town. And he's... He was just saying to me, "Oh crap! I gotta, I gotta cook this big meal, and I, I don't know how to cook. And I, the only thing I can think of is, I'll order delivery and have it on my rooftop. And I'm like, let me cater your wedding, your party as a wedding gift. And that, and I did. And so I uh, went out to, I found Yerson Market because that's where I could get a grill. He didn't have anything, so I bought him a grill. Um, and." Uh, found the co-op mart, you know, the, the, I was just on vacation for a wedding, and really, you know, that was, the, I, I made ribs, I made barbecue sauce, I made all the stuff that eventually would become our our barbecue menu at Kwan Udud. and um, Tim Scott, good friends with my friend Jake, was on the roof uh, that day, and it was Thanksgiving night 2012, so it was, it was a U.S. holiday, and it was Jake's family who I grew up with. We're all there, and it was like Happy Thanksgiving, and Tim's eating the ribs, and and he after the sometime after the meal, he's like, "What do you think about moving out here and opening a barbecue restaurant with me?" And it was just like, "What are you talking about? That's crazy." And uh, he said, "Think about it." He goes, we, we, "It's it, it's you know at the time he said it's it's pretty easy to open a small business here. We could do it, you know and." I think about two weeks after getting home, I uh, already had my house for sale and was tearing down my life to move out here. A year after that conversation, I landed in Saigon, and uh, a week before I got here, Tim called me and said we found a location. That's the Woven Kit store in District 1, and uh, yeah, three months after I got here, the restaurant was open, so I, I didn't come here looking for work. Work brought me here, and... Yeah, I 
always wanted to own my own restaurant, and now I got nine of them. <laughs> so that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I always find it so interesting because as expats, we all kind of share some commonality in our kind of genesis stories, our background stories, right? Like for a lot of them are fortuitous. You know, whether it's someone didn't do their paperwork or whether someone's wedding needs catered or whatnot. And there also is that thing about Vietnam having that pool that you were talking about. Like we came, we were similar. We came, my wife and I came for a holiday for like two weeks, traveled the length of the country, just fell in love with it. And when we went back, we went back to, we lived in Wellington in New Zealand. We didn't know of any Vietnamese food anywhere in Wellington, right? And then, but when we came back, we were craving it. We didn't realize there was an Asian supermarket across the road from us with everything that we wanted. We went and bought all the rice paper rolls. We started making our own food. We found like five Vietnamese restaurants that were just within walking distance distance from our place that we didn't know that were there. And we just spent that whole weekend back in Wellington like, eating Vietnamese food. I remember as well, we found a restaurant with Ba Ba Ba. Guess how much a can of Ba 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 was in New Zealand? Guessing 10, 10 US dollars or something? Just about that, yeah. I was, <laughs> was going to lowball it. I was going to take five. It was That's nine it. New Zealand dollars, which I think is maybe seven US dollars, something like that. And we were just like, what the? <laughs> was it 50 cents here? But it's something about Vietnam where you come here and then you're like, this is now we're still here years later. Yeah, that was also... Uh... Something I noticed on that first vacation, I didn't, you know, sitting at a restaurant by the ocean in Da Nang somewhere, somewhere and eating prawns and crab and all this incredible seafood with crates of beer. And it's like, we get the bill, it's like, okay, seven bucks each. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> I still get sticker shock when I go back to Chicago and buy a round of drinks for my friends. And it's like, Where'd all my money go? Yeah, I know. I remember we did uh, like um, beer hoy up in Hanoi when we were on our first vacation here. Similar thing, like so much beer, so much food. Got the bill and it was it was something similar, like five bucks a head or something like that. It's like this is crazy because in, in New Zealand, like it's ridiculously expensive. It'd be so hard to find that in the states. Yeah, just like what Mark's saying. There's a one one of my first uh, little. Areas that I hung out when I was on uh, actually Winti Kai. There's the 18A, the alley where so many teachers and expats live. Uh, there's a lot of alleys around there where you can kind of duck in and sit down and get reasonably good food um, and inexpensive beer. And just what you guys are saying, spend better part of an evening and walk out of there paying less than 200000 which is less than 8 bucks. Yeah. Mind-blowing, right? Mm-hmm. When you got here, what were your intentions? And you said you were only going to stay for two or three months? Well, I figured that I would I would come out here and try to start the teaching process. I, yeah, I always had that in mind. I just, previous to that, I was not the most adventurous person. And I'd gone a few places before and kind of um, sort of mentally bottomed out and went back. I moved around quite a lot, uh, or at least for for a person with my proclivities, it felt like a lot. And I, uh, so I just had it in my head that like, yeah, I'll be out there three, four months. I'll probably get tired of it or something. But uh, again, day, day two or three or somewhere early on, I I just had a moment with a uh, uh, bunja, and uh, I was like, I, you just can't get this food back in the states. That, that I'm sure I could find it now, but. Um, it was the food and the ease of life 
quickly got its hooks in me. And then I also, I think a little bit after that, just realizing how friendly and open most Vietnamese people are, uh, that certainly didn't hurt. Uh, yeah, they, did you see there was something just yesterday about how Saigon's been rated one of the top 10 places in the world to live for expats? Oh, a massive it? study by HSBC. Yeah. And one of the things was the friendliness and the openness of the people. And I think sometimes I forget just how friendly Vietnamese people are without even being able to speak the language. And that, that, so that's my question right for you guys. And I ask everyone this. How's your Vietnamese? Chup-chup. Uh, Chup-chup? Yeah. Not existent. <laughs> Actually, I have a, I have my my wonderful wife. <laughs> she she's she's Vietnamese, um, and it's made me even lazier about learning a second language because a lot of times it's just I look at her and she's like, I I got it, okay. <laughs> I thought that was how you learned Vietnamese is, is because if you have a Vietnamese wife or partner, then you she can is talk to them. Perfect English, probably better English than mine. Uh, no. <laughs> And so have you learned more than chup, 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 chup? I think if you've yeah, listened I, before, means like a little Vietnamese. Uh, uh, I'm helping Viet. Uh, I, I've, I've studied Vietnamese. My intonation's kind of crap, but um, I, 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 I have I, a decent vocabulary. <laughs> and so it, if, if, I, if I only just used it more, if I practiced what I preach in the classroom, if I just treated... Uh, I'm, you know, the typical teacher, like a plumber doesn't want to do plumbing in their own house. Uh, I I theoretically should be able to learn this language because I know how to do it. I know how to acquire language, but I'm uh, you know an adult male, lazy person. So. Yeah, I uh, I started out you know I get Rosetta Stone and then, so I know my numbers and my colors. That's about it, you know. And then being in the food business, um, uh, our funny names for beers. I know how to insult people and say slang things because of that. Um, and I also, I, I can get in a cab and tell them anywhere in the city where, how to get there. I, I know the street names or can almost say I'm close enough that they understand me. So that's about my extent of <laughs> how much I've learned. And really the amount of English that the younger generation of Vietnamese are speaking, so much of our staff, I, I just walk up to them and I take it for granted that they know English and, and most of them do. And it's, 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 yeah, that's also made it a little harder for me to get that ball rolling <laughs> yeah and we and we've talked about this before on the podcast and i mean i talk about it with friends as well it's so difficult in saigon it's so easy to be lazy because mm -hmm. so many people speak english yeah. you know i think if you were stationed somewhere out in the country or somewhere else where english isn't as prevalent you'd force yourself to learn it more but we're just so lucky here and it makes us all well, lazy right? and also for for me being american and what i do is what people are buying from me you know, they're coming and having American cuisine and American craft beer. So that's what they expect from me. <laughs> but so you mentioned the names of your beer, and uh, you won't be able to see this because we're on a podcast. Mark pointed to my T-shirt. So I'm wearing a T-shirt, coincidentally, that is one of uh, the beer craft beers, which uh, do you want to pronounce it? So Salmachan is uh, roughly translated ugly but vain. Um, and uh, we have a, a several probably 10 beers with these funny Vietnamese names and um, our, our Vietnamese customers love it. And they, they think it's so funny that you call a beer a, a slang insult, you know, and uh, we have Zabaco, which is you, you fucking liar, you know, Koi Da Ra means let's get naked. You know? <laughs> well, uh, the one that made me laugh was, uh, well, was, no, it didn't make me laugh. Sorry. The one that educated me was Jit Bit Lin. Yeah. 
because my Vietnamese friend had told me this phrase and her translation to English was, um, it means, if I die, I will know. And I didn't really understand what she meant by that, but she's like, yeah, it's a Vietnamese phrase. It means, if I die, I will know. And I was like, okay, fine. And it wasn't until I went to be a craft, got your beer, and it said, chip bit lin, but it's translated as, fuck the vinyl. Yeah. I was like, of course, that's what she I, I was th- trying to I say. Think, but I think what it really means, if I know that, I am dead. You know? Yeah. But when it's turned around, yeah. So we, we came up with rough translations, like, bitch at lean doesn't mean fucked if I know exactly. Oh, uh, okay. But, it, but it's, it, it's the same meaning, yeah, so yeah. It, it, and it's a saying, so it's, it's, that's where we... It's the direct translation means if I die, I don't know. Tao is another beer, is our pale ale, and uh, Dun Chok Tao is like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like wearing this t-shirt, but I also don't, because I get such funny looks wearing it. And I walked into the doctor's surgery one morning... And uh, I was half asleep, and this girl just stared at my t-shirt, and she was like that. And I was like, why is she staring at me? And then I looked, and I was like, oh, I'm wearing this. And it's also because it's a foreigner wearing it. It's like they know that that's a funny thing to put on a shirt, you know? So after that, I try not to wear it if I'm going somewhere formal, like the doctor's or or somewhere like that. (laughs) I just wear it if I'm going out for a beer. That's another thing I love about Vietnam is... um, yeah, you, you can have fun with stuff like that. You know, our, our customers, our Vietnamese customers, love that we're playful yeah. in the restaurant. And it, it makes them, you know, so that's another fun part of Vietnam. Well, I talked about this with uh, somebody, I think it was Joanza on the podcast. And one thing that I think is amazing when you go to these bars, like these craft beer places or Western places, I'm using quotation marks, it is mostly Vietnamese people that are there. Would you think that you're servicing more Vietnamese people uh, than the Westerners? And and then that that goes back to you know my, my partner Tim Scott. He uh, when we opened, I was so happy. I was so proud of I'm gonna, I'm going to make chicken wings like this, and I want to show people all this American food. But he's like, we're not opening in an expat place. We're we're opening. You know, American barbecue for Vietnamese. So that was conscious from the beginning. And and I didn't understand what he meant by he's like we're gonna get expats <laughs> you know we 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 we're, we're Western food but we wanna we wanna present it in a restaurant that is is for the Vietnamese and I, I learned after moving here and seeing expat bars and nothing's wrong with those kind of places but they're 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 exactly that um, an example is like some of the girly bars over on uh, the beginning of uh, Pasteur Street. Um, there's nothing wrong with running a business like that. I mean, they, they get a lot of good-looking young Vietnamese ladies and a bunch of old expats like to hang around and drink there, and it's a, it, it can be a fun place. But, you know, what Tim was telling me, you know, do you think a Vietnamese family feels comfortable with a bunch of expats oogling young ladies? It's not really what we wanted to do, and, and, we did, and boy, was he right, it, because when we started getting busy, a Vietnamese couple would come in, and they'd like the experience, and then we'd see them the next weekend with grandma, mom, dad, four kids, a group, group of 12, and then, yeah, that, that's when, that's, that's what we wanted all along, and um, yeah, I would say because of that, you know, our, our style of service, it, it is almost all of our restaurants as a whole, collectively, 75 to 80% Vietnamese on any given night. And economically, right, thinking about it, like how many expats are there? I think I looked up this week, like 60,000 expats. Okay, I wasn't sure what that number was, but that's about right. It's about around that. 
now you got 10 million people that live yeah, here. So, I mean, if you're going to cater to 60,000 people... Yeah, it makes sense. You're not gonna. You're not gonna have nine restaurants. You're not gonna expand, and in, in you, pretty difficult to be successful. So you really do have to keep. Yeah, we're actually we're at eight restaurants and a beer truck, but we are opening our ninth restaurant next month. Nice. Where's that gonna be? Uh, it, we already have the location, so I can say we have nine restaurants. Um, uh, it's in Binton District, and the, there's the area. Um, Kind of over by City Garden. Is it near like Kwai and Bodhi? And it's like a, a lot of like Japanese places are back. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's like my favorite new spot now. In, so in we're going to have a little beer craft. Awesome. And we're going to do an all Japanese menu for beer craft at that, oh, that nice. location. So. Yeah, I went there. We it's went coming. there just like two weeks ago, a place called Murateki or Muteki, and um, just randomly found it. And it was so, I, so good. I found a couple places back in there that are just fun. There was. I can't remember the name of the place I went with with, with my with Tim, um, and uh, they had you, you, you grilled your food right on your table. Mm. There's a little ash pit, and and then like about 15, 20 minutes into our, you know, we're having beers and grilling up food. Boom! These girls come out and they're standing on top of on top of the bathroom. There was a ledge and two platforms going up in the air, and they're girls in mini skirts dancing to Japanese music. And they danced for about five minutes, and I was like, well, that was cool. What, what the hell was that? And it, every hour on the hour, they did it. we were there for a couple hours. We're like, I like this place. We're very Japanese. That, that's a, I'm glad you're opening in that area, because that's a cool little spot. Because have you been to, like, there's Birdie? Birdie. And then we're right by Birdie. You're by Birdie, and yeah. then there's Kwai. I think across they're across the, the street from us. We're on a corner right, right down yeah, there. Yeah, that spot there, like I'd never been there until like maybe a few months ago, and then now yeah, I go back quite all often. kinds of nice shops. We, we uh, I think someone tipped, I, I don't know exactly who told us about the location, but um, we uh, we went over and looked at it, and we had signed the contract the very next morning. It was nice. like, we want this. This is a cool spot, man, so we're excited about it. So when you first got here, Josh, mm -hmm. what was the state of craft beer or the food industry, food like the kind of Western food industry, I guess? Uh, I think possibly platinum existed. Uh, I I forget their chronology, but um, there was Pasteur Street had opened. I may be way off in this, but I want to say uh, December. Mark, do you know that? Right at the end of the year, I, I think. I think in January, January of twenty fourteen. Okay, so I well, I, no, no. I came in April January 20, of 2015. Yeah, I think it was 2015. I came yeah. in April 2015 for a holiday, and I've got a. I remember coming and having a jasmine IPA, and so we lived in Wellington, which is like the craft beer capital of the Pacific. Like craft beer in Wellington, New Zealand is unbelievable. So I remember coming and being like a jasmine IPA. Yeah. This is. And Misha served us. I've got a picture. I was going through pictures like two or three years later of our trip to Vietnam, and in the background is Misha. Behind the bar, serving serving our beers, I sent it to him. It's crazy. I'd never met him. He was there very early on. Yeah, he, he was walking around like a. He was there. He was one of their first customers, and I think he told his story to you. Yeah, and, yeah. And your listeners heard it in the last podcast. Um, but I can I can tell you accurately how the craft beer scene unfolded. Um, Josh is right. Platinum was was here when we opened our restaurant in March of 2014. Um, yeah, from March until the end of the year, in order, um, we were brewing in our restaurant, but it wasn't called Beer Craft yet. It was just Quan Ud Ud IPA, and we had a couple beers available. 
in um, platinum sometime around May or June were the first ones in kegs that you could get your hands on. And then uh, there was Fuzzy Logic. Was, he was, they were brewing very small batches, but Colin and Max were brewing Fuzzy Logic in, that, in 2014. Uh, they were in that alley with kegs of beer from mm-hmm. time to time was how they got their start. And, uh, and then uh, by the end of the year, Pastor Street opened their tasting room. And then by the middle of 2015, we opened the little beer craft in uh, Taudian. And opening night, we had two Pastor Streets, two Platinums, two Beacraft beers, and we named the place Beacraft, and Fuzzy Logic on tap. That was all the beer in the country at that time. So from 2015 to 2016, in the month of August, it went from six beers available in the country to we had 14 beers on tap. And we couldn't put all of them on. We were rotating different beers, and then we yeah, just kept growing the number of taps. Now, uh, the Beacraft at Lego Cat um, has 50 taps, and we we put only two or three of each brewery's beers on. We can't put them all. Or be, there's over 150 beers to choose from now in this country. So It's so exciting. I, and if you've heard before I talk about craft beer, I'm a bit, I do love it, and Wellington was an exciting time because I think what I see now is Vietnam, Saigon is going through what Wellington went through, like, five, ten years ago, you know, because the craft beer industry kind of comes up behind America, right? Like, that's the trailblazer, and then all the industries kind of follow behind. And so, if you heard the story with Misha, you heard I got burned on uh, investing in the craft beer. Yeah, I did, I did hear that bit. <laughs> and so, but it was so cool at the time just seeing all these craft beers explode, and so good. And then and then coming here again on a holiday just in If you want to give me some cash, I'll make a beer craft beer for you. <laughs> I'm too, I'm, I've lost it all. It's all gone. So what were you drinking when you first got here, Josh? Uh, I did the, the, the you know, light wallet. Uh, I did a lot of Xerox and Tigers and, um, you know, just your standard cheaper beers. I'm not going to disparage any of them. I certainly got my enjoyment. Although certain ones, uh, a few of those cause bigger headaches than others, so I shy away from a couple. Is that the one in the green bottle? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I know the, the one um, you're talking about. But, but early, early on, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to meet Max and uh, Colin at Fuzzy Logic, so er, I, they used to, this was probably in, in 2016, not 15, but 2016, not that I met them, but like I, I used to be one of a few friends, they'd call and be like, hey, we got a cake delivery, free beer if you help us, I'm back 300 kegs or something. And so, um, that, I mean, that very well might be 2017. I haven't thought about that in a while. But the, early on, it was it was platinum. Uh, any, I, I've, I've always loved microbrews uh, since I could drink them. And uh, and a little bit before I legally could do that. Um, <laughs> well, it's 21 in America, so that doesn't yeah, count. You, know, you should be, have silly. three years of legal experience before then. What was the, the craft beer scene like in, in Connecticut? The, this, as I remember... There was New England Brewing, which was uh, blowing up. Um, uh, New England in general uh, has a, has a just been exploding with with uh, craft beer. Uh, but New Haven, Connecticut, had some some great bars that you could go to and uh, see live music, drink good craft beers. Uh, the Ginger Man, which was I think that's in Stanford, has uh, it, it, they have like a fifty tap setup. They've also, I think, I'm pretty sure their first location was in New York City, but they, there was there was places you could go. So who's ready for a beer now? Uh, yeah, we all the some. Yeah, we could. Some uh, 
couple of cans. Yeah, well, I, I've been... I've seen them marketing all around town and that's really made me want to buy their beer, which uh, if you live in Saigon, you'll have seen uh, the latest beer craft marketing. Um, I've seen you naked more times than I'd like to count. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it sells a lot of beer, believe it or not. <laughs> so how did that come about? Um, we, we've, we've always had a lot of fun, like our funny names, and, and we'd done some, we had done some other marketing. It, it was basically making fun of the Vietjet they they've stepped on their own a few times um the first time was when we the first year we were open um vietjet they they just kind of did a media scam they what they did was they they photoed a lot of really attractive vietnamese women in bikinis you know bumping their butts together and really suggestive photos and a lot more skin than the government likes so what they did is they rele- they released the photos on a, on one of the models' personal Facebook page, and when the government tried to find them for these photos because they got millions of views and Vietnamese kids everywhere were like oh yeah, and uh, they they said oh we we a marketing company took those pictures and we 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 didn't want to we didn't want to post them they were leaked on Facebook that's the model you know they they still find them and shame on you. Tim, who is is really quick on this stuff, he uh, he's like, we got we got to rip we got to rip on him for it. So we they we sent our marketing guy down to Bouyvin, which <clears throat> for your listeners that's the party street in Saigon. It's it's always there's always trouble on that street depending on what you're looking for. Um, but we were looking for male models, so we went down and we asked a bunch of people from all over the world. There was an English guy, a Japanese guy. And um, we we said all the free beer and bacon you want if you come down to our restaurant and we're gonna and they're like what do you want us to do we're gonna, we're gonna put you in Borat mankinis and we're gonna make we're gonna cop, copy the photos of Vietjet so that meant oh yeah a whole lot of nudity except for a small Borat mankini there was spillage there was problems but it. It we it worked. It, it did exactly what we wanted to. We we leaked the photos on a Facebook page, and uh, it it went viral. It got several thousand hits, and and it was yanked down because of we had to blur the photos because of the spillage. And then the photo went back up, and it was in the Saigoneer and uh, uh, what's the Word magazine. They all picked it up and ran with it, and we got a lot of. Funny press for it. A few people were a little offended, but it mostly was just for fun. And then fast forward to last year, the under twenty three uh, football team, they uh, Vietnamese won won the cup. They 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 were the number one team in all of Asia, and Vietnamese are very very proud of their football. You know, and uh, Vietjet did it again. They they put bikini models with a big hilarious like crown on this lady and she's hugging one of the footballers in the plane while they're flying back from their their win in china and 24 hours later they had pictures of me in the same getup, and uh, i'm hugging our general manager of our restaurants and he's looking exactly like the soccer player and it went viral there was an online vote the model against me and I won by like 88%, you know, so. Send me these links and I'll put them in the show notes. So I, some, some, some of them have been. If they've not been taken down. Taken down, yeah. They, they were in the, one of them was in the newspaper. 
the, the when the under twenty three football team won, and it was pulled. I think Via Jet like paid him to take it down because we were stealing their thunder a little bit. And so to explain the latest marketing so, campaign, so that and I think was... we should order beers and see if they can make it here before the end of the recording. Okay, should we do yeah. it? Uh, sure. Um, I'd like to order a six pack of beer. Yes. Yes, please. Could we get uh, three cham fun cham? And three salma cham? Three dung chuk tao. And three dung chuk tao. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, Thank you. Bye. So we've just ordered some beers from the Funyan uh, Beer Craft. How is the customer service there? Good. Well, it's another example of us not speaking Vietnamese and able to order six beers from our... Yeah, I, I love that about our uh, our Vietnamese staff. They're excellent. Oh, I'm getting a little treat here. So Biscuit's been with us, uh, as always, sleeping, she's she's woken up now, and she's uh, giving Josh some love. (laughs) So we've ordered some beers from Beer Craft, they should be here hopefully in 15-20 minutes, we'll continue on, but we're getting parched talking about beer so much. Both of you have now been here for nearly six years, out with the food and beverage industry, which obviously has just changed massively, what are the biggest changes that you've seen in Saigon? Um, Quite a a bit, Um, when, when we moved here and we opened... Um, there was, there was a couple of places that that you know really, uh, I don't I don't know how I want to say, kind of hit another level for Vietnam. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, when I got here five years ago, it was still a lot of the, the little steel tables, the little red chairs, a lot of you know they, that they've been the same for, twenty or thirty years uh, without much change. Um, but there was just starting to be. Uh, when I visit an example, when I visited in 2010, um, my 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 business partner Tim Scott took me to like Black Cat. Was this that was the best burger in the city, and there wasn't much other choices, you know. And there was a place that's not there. Neither one of these are still here. Uh, El Gato was a Mexican place, um, but um, what I'm talking about though was like Pizza Four P was open when I moved here and that everyone told me oh, you got to go there that's like another level you know they they, they make their own cheese and they, they do all this wonderful stuff and and then like um you know the urban kitchen and uh I'm just trying to think of relish and sons opened and pastor street opened and we opened and right around that 2015 2014 2015 period like 10 or 15 really new and modern establishments opened and the thing that's changed the most from then till, till this year, it, it's not quite as easy to do as it was five years ago. And what I mean by that is um, if you want to keep up with, with the, the quality of the restaurants that are open, you've got to put a little more than... We, we, what we got our first restaurant open, an example, I, I think it was well under $50,000 invested from all the original partners. And... I, did, I know that our last couple of restaurants it was more than three times that price to, to open establishment. But it was also, we, we didn't have a choice when we did that first one. I think it would be very difficult for someone to open a nice quality restaurant um, 
yeah, on, keeping it under fifty thousand dollars invested. It's just that's how much things have changed in the quality. What, what, the quality the price of that's in, what price has increased? Um, mostly the rents. I was going to say is that <laughs> that's, the rent. That's yeah. the, the, um, to, I, I think in the in the city center, it's starting to get hard to find anything under ten grand a month and. A lot of places were able to get under two grand a month a few years back, and it, the prices just keep going up. The price of land um, that's skyrocketing. Um, but even labor is—it's you know, Vietnamese are the labor is. I mean, c- compared to Western standards, still very low. But it, it you know, as Vietnam develops, that's creeping up with it. You know, so um, I would say the opportunity is still here that for for you know. People from abroad starting a small business here, but it's it's growing fast. Yeah, and you can see it's changing like that, like the development. I was talking about that with Susan Lee. I don't know if you know Susan. And we're almost at like a little sweet spot right now of it's developing and there's the, the things that you need to get to open a business. And it's cheap enough and there's opportunities enough, like, you know, you, you can get in here. But those, that's going to change. It's changing quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Um... It, we're, we're, we're one of the companies changing it, you know. I mean, we, we just opened our beer truck. That's something new for Vietnam. Um, we didn't even know it was possible. We wanted to do it for a long time. Uh, but, you know, my, my partner Tim saw the Pizza 365 truck. We're like, hey, they're doing it here. Where, where did they get that truck? And we started looking into it. And then we're friends with the Masuke, the, the, uh, the, the founder and owner of um, Pizza 4P, and he told us he he's got a truck and he's got he's got it licensed. So then we found out well you can do this now, and we got a licensed beer truck. And right now it's parked at the old beer craft because we're remodeling ninety Santui in District Two. That's another thing that like, you know, that's been going crazy in the states, but it it it's that's starting to happen here. And we like we like very much being one of the first with a truck because. The, there's going to be a flood of them now, you know. The, there'll be a Pepsi truck, a Coke truck. We have a beer truck before Budweiser and Heineken and Tiger, so that's pretty badass. <laughs> I guess it's something that we... we yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know they're going to see it and they're going to be like, oh, we're, we're going to have a truck. <laughs> well, I guess food trucks are so popular in the U.S., right? Like, and it's yeah. something that's not done here. And I haven't even really thought about it being done here, but, I mean, that could be the next big thing here, right? Instead of more physical restaurants, the rents are going up, like you're saying. Maybe that'll be the next thing we'll see in Saigon is more of the food truck scene. Yeah. And we're already starting to see a lot of um, a lot of the trends that have happened in the U.S. Are con- as it grows here, uh, things like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a, a dark kitchen. A uh, dark kitchen is a concept that, you launch a concept and you don't even have a location. So, like, an example of it exactly so you can understand it better is um, um, Madhouse is a restaurant in District 2. For delivery only, they have a Mad Burger. There's no location. You can't order a Mad Burger at Madhouse Restaurant. It's just some a way to increase revenue is restaurants will start a second concept and grow it and if in delivery only and in if you grow it and you you prove the concept then you can find a location because you already got the revenue and boom well a previous episode was with um thumb lay i don't know if you know how she started saganita have you heard of saganita 
which is a closed door restaurant. So she does it from her home and invites people in and it's, um, it's, so it's not open all the time. It's kind of like, my in, I don't know if it's invite only, but it's only infrequently. And it's a fusion of Mexican and Vietnamese food. Cool. So she's from Texas, Vietnamese parents that left Vietnam, settled in Texas. And she's come back here, so she's influenced by the Mexican food and the Vietnamese food. And we were just talking about how they kind of complement each other. And instead of her starting out with like a bricks and mortar restaurant, she started off with like at home. And she said, you know, in the beginning, she's like, I didn't even think somebody would pay me for my food, you know. So it was kind of like, I'll see what happens. And I think the first one she did was just like 20 people and then it grew and then it grew and... Wow. Um, that's great. That's yeah. interesting, but um, yeah, th- th- those <clears throat> those those kind of things like food trucks and dark kitchens, you know, with you know expats doing business here, they're bringing all that stuff, and um, uh, we I, I, and I think we're going to be we'll be launching some new concepts yeah, yeah, yeah. in a very similar way. Two places, um, really, right? We, we 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 like to be the first, and I'll yeah. say that it's it, it never gets old, and, it, and it, we don't want to we don't want to be the first to suck. That's not what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it it's uh yeah, it's it's what's fun about doing business here in Vietnam. Mm. There's a lot of things that are untouched still, and you can have a go at them. And what about for you, Josh? What's the biggest changes you've noticed? Uh, Mark pretty much pinpointed what I what I would uh would say um the skyline i where i live in district two in taudin i can see the landmark 81 tower but just two years ago that wasn't there at all and three years ago a year before that the buildings surrounding it were almost largely not there mostly not there um two team by the tunnel that was a gravel road uh, the highway in between uh, trend now in between the two highways that was gravel I think they were probably just ripping it up at the time I'm sure it was paved at some point before that but it was they they widened just the the rapidity with which um, things have progressed um, but I, I would also say the the I, I, I don't know I would I have not done research but I would say cars the presence of cars oh. when I first came here uh, oh, yeah. just a lot less cars and now just I believe that the taxation on importing vehicles has been relaxed or maybe nullified I'm not positive I think that's what I got told that. before there was a 100% tax on importing a car which mm-hmm. meant there was almost no cars yeah. here and I think it was three or five years ago they just took it away and yeah. now it's just yeah. when, yeah, I, when, when, it. I, when I got here Josh that exact thing was just happening um I met my wife the first month I was here. Um, took me a while to get smart enough to ask her out and start dating her. But um, I remember her telling me when I first met her in the first couple of dates and we were talking, she's like, yeah, you know, um, they, they first relaxed the laws on the, on, the, on the cars, the taxes on the cars. It was the Asian group that, you know, these six nations don't pay any taxes. So cars coming from Japan and all that were all included and what she told me back then she's like yeah if you see a a toyota corolla that's 10 years old they're they're gonna keep driving it because they paid a hundred thousand dollars to get that car in this country it's there is no cheap car i mean if you had any car you you had a lot of money and now you can you can buy cars for under twenty thousand dollars and it's 
reasonable for middle class people. And yeah, now now you see the long lines of cars at rush hour, and, and you also see a lot of nice cars as well. Oh yeah, like a really nice cars. I was blown away. I went to Cambodia to Phnom Penh one time, and I couldn't believe the nice cars that were driving down the street. I was like, this. I thought this was like a one of the poorest countries in the world, well, which it is. I think it is, yeah. But at the same time, I was like, how will the, like, you know, Aston Martin's well, driving down the street? And the people that do have money have a mountain of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that's a problem worldwide, is yeah. it's inequality, right? Yeah. Um, I think the, the crazy thing about this time right now in Saigon, and what's really exciting, is for us being from the West, right, so where we are from, the infrastructure was all built 100 years ago, 50 years ago, subway systems, railway lines, like we didn't see any of that, like it was all there, the streets were there, the street lights were all there, and then now we're living at a time where, you know, it's developing and we're seeing that, like the subway system is literally being built right now, like I've seen the subway bridge being connected over the river, you know, that's something that would have, our forefathers would have seen the New York subway system or the sure. London Underground, or they'd have seen that being built, we're seeing that now. And that's, I just think it's just really exciting time to, because not many people will get to live through that change. Like just last week, somebody showed me a picture of the ferry. I didn't even know there used to be a ferry that went across the Saigon River between like D2 and D1. Mm -hmm. And it's filled with motorbikes. So all the motorbikes would pile on the ferry. Ferry goes across, they pile off, pile. And then when did the tunnel get built? Like three, four, five years ago? Like not very long ago. More like five. Five it, or six, maybe. It, no, it was a little more than that. It was, I, I drove on the tunnel in 2012 when I was in town for my buddy's wedding, and it had just opened. He right. was like, he drove me through it on the back of his motorbike to show me. I'm like, oh, this is cool. When did this? He goes, oh, you used to have to go all the way around. He goes, now you can just take the tunnel. There was the Saigon Bridge, the big one going over to District 2. That was the first big bridge that, that, that went up. It was a smaller bridge that, yeah, the, the ships needed to pass by, so... For a lot of years, it was ferries, you know. And so, yeah, that's what I think is a, we're at a kind of snapshot in time here. Because if you go to Kuala Lumpur or any other Bangkok, you know, they, they're, they're more developed, right? Like, but we're here right now. It's really cool, actually. Do you know Chris Bianis? He's He's been a regular customer of ours. Uh, he's a craft beer lover and uh, he's an artist. He's an excellent artist, too. He has a whole line of paintings that are these... Like if me or you see him, we'd know that Saigon the time that I was there because it's like half built bridges with green construction fence. It's impressionist, so it's it's a really cool. I want to get my hands on some of his paintings, but that might be a good podcast for him. He's a guy that's in District Seven. He's an incredible artist, and yeah, he captured that whole thing you're just talking yeah, about cool, the bridges yeah. going up and. Yeah, it is a cool... That would be interesting. Yeah, put me in touch with them. Yeah, it, but it's also a, a cool thing that we're witnessing right mm. now. I agree with you. So talking about art, what about the art <coughs> like, um, at Beer Craft? Because that's been a bit controversial, has it not? I think I saw a little bit of murmurings online about... Uh, well, there was... We, we like, like I said, we've always liked to be a little edgy and, and have fun. Mostly that's our intention. It's not to... Not to start a controversy we we like to have fun and then sometimes if we push it too far and, and uh, that one we did but um it wasn't intentional we they painted a mural at this beer craft and it was uh tim talked to an artist and he said you know all the other guys have the mock brewery the grain going in the, this is the hops in the water and almost every tasting room even around the u.s that that's a very common thing to put up 
So he thought, wouldn't it be fun if the man is the brewery and what he's... And it was, it was a very crazy, kind of surrealist painting of this man turning into salt. He, the man himself is a brewery and the drink was coming out and it was... And on the last wall, the end of the mural, there's these two really weird looking you know, ladies that are barely barely covered at all you know it, it's very cartoony but and uh, in the the crotch of the one lady it, it was like dripping with like like and if that and we had had a few comments and we we didn't tell the artist to go that far he just did it and then we're like oh okay so we just kind of respected the artist's work as it, it was a little more graphic than we thought it was going to be. But, um, and a couple of people commented, mostly, you know, expats who, you know, that's looked down on in the, in the West, you know, and that, that's very gratuitous and it's not nice and whatever. And after a couple of comments, we were like, yeah, you know, and then our staff, which our marketing staff was, took a picture of a beer with some foam on the top of it, right underneath that section of the mural, and it looked like because it was what was dripping looked like it was was filling the glass, and that went up on our Facebook page. And then some good friends of ours said, "Hey guys, we we love your edginess, and this is too far, man. I wouldn't want my kid to see that, and you got to be keep it real." And we agreed, and so much so that all the people that had talked to us, we contacted them and said, "Hey, we." We just painted over the end of the mural. We still kept the whole artwork. Just took away that little, painted that wall gray and said thanks, you know. But that that was exactly, you know, we we like to be irreverent, but respectfully irreverent, you know. Poke fun, you know. Uh, make fun of the status quo and, and not not make fun of somebody or offend someone. So that's and the name of it, it's. A, it's it's easy to cross that line nowadays, you know, when you have the right intentions. But you know, I think the main thing in that is how you react, right? I don't think it's what you actually do; it's how you react. Sure. And if you take it well, as long as you're respectful in your answer, you can. You don't need to react and say, "Okay, we're going to take it down." But as long as you're respectful in your answer, no. And we didn't take it down the first couple of times someone had a problem with it. We just say that was the artist. Mm. We we told them what we wanted, and that's what the artist did. And we were just respecting the artist. Yeah. But then when our staff did that and we didn't ask him to he but he's been working with us and he knows you know he, he likes to have fun with stuff you know like hey mark take off all your clothes you know what, what are we doing well, we're gonna put you in a pool with beer can underwear and we're gonna sell cans of beer and i'm like okay i don't think we fully explained that okay I mean, so, I don't think so. Now, when i, I, I said I, about like i want okay, to so some beer what happened for, with that? for the listeners I'll, I'll go back to the finishing that story <laughs> we did get off track i think when we ordered the beer yeah i think yeah that um fine. so we did the v i talked about the uh the viet jet you know scandals that we poked fun of and it, we got a lot of a lot of laughs and a, and a lot of coverage so then um it was just our marketing guy's uh choice uh he's like hey can you come over and do the photo shoot we're gonna do it at tim's house and i'm like oh why don't we do it in the restaurant I and mean, he's like oh we, tim didn't want to do it in the restaurant he doesn't want to offend anyone i'm like what a Okay, well, I'll see you over there. What time? Come over here this time. And uh, it was like 6 p.m. on a weeknight, and there's a black screen and the lighting and a baby pool and a little rubber ducky. And I'm, okay, what are we doing? He's like, take off your clothes. You didn't know this before. No. 
I just I, I've, I've been in lots of photo shoots and commercials and TV shows. I'm, I'm used to this as part of my routine is, okay, we're doing some more marketing, and I'm, I'm the barbecue guy of the company, so I expect it. I didn't expect to, to sell cans of beer for Beacraft naked in a pool with beer cans barely covering anything. But um, it was pretty funny, though, because we were, were we, we have we have some really KPIs that are really hard to hit. And one of them is increasing the volume of beer we sell this year and can sales, everything. We, we look at everything and how do we boost it? And our marketing guy thought that me in a pool floating in a little baby pool out of, in a pool uh, with beer can underwear would sell cans of beer. I, I went along with it. They, I didn't know they were going to put up, you know, two meter murals of me in front of every, all eight restaurants, but they did. And you can see it from across the river. And some of my, some of my coworkers are like, dude, man, it's a little much. I'm like, yeah. but I think we put those signs up on a, on a third and they're also on every table on a little topper and posters on every wall. I mean, it was really overdone. And, um, our beer sales went, I, I don't know the exact number, but if we were selling, 30 cans of beer at all locations on that Thursday. They went on the tables that Thursday night, that Friday, and that Saturday, and that Sunday, right after it, because it was buy five cans, get one free promotion. Um, our can sales went up to like 90 cans of beer, you know, it like tri- more than tripled for that first weekend. And I'm like, okay, if the marketing guy asks, I just have to believe he knows what he's doing. But um, yeah, my wife was a little shocked on that one. She's like, why did you do that? And I'm like, they asked me to. That's my job. <laughs> so, It's funny the way you're describing it, though, because when you go into the studio or whatever, you just don't picture, like, two-meter banners everywhere, table toppers, like, this picture being everywhere, you know? Like, is this, I'm just going in doing some marketing. Like. Well, and then it's, it, you know, it, it's on our Facebook page, which <laughs> my family and friends back home are like... <laughs> It's funny, I visited in May, and that promotion was already out, and buddy Bob that I worked with at the car dealership for years, um, he, all, all the marketing put together, he's like, what are you going to do next? He's like, you're like the freaking Chris Farley of Vietnam now. It's, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, he goes, I just crack up sometimes when I see your guys' next video or next shooting. It's like, I don't know. It, it actually makes it quite fun, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm... And believe it or not, I seem to have a lot of our Vietnamese female staff want to rub my belly now. So <laughs> something good, something good came of well, it. Then. <laughs> I'm joking. My wife wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean they're just—they think it's funny. Yeah. So let's talk about your podcast then. So we haven't even got to your podcast. So tell me, um, like, kind of, how did you guys meet, and how did the podcast come about? Let's let's hear from Josh. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So we we um, first met in uh, around February, January last year, and uh, like Mark was saying earlier, we, we played uh, just started playing darts, and then as was were you were at you asked were we, you invited? We, we were uh, no. I I asked to join. We ended up on the same dart team at at, yeah. at the Fat Shaggy's bar. And which we would practice or play, but I'll, I'll let Josh finish. I, I think we have a particularly uh, childish sense of humor, uh, you know, the adult adult boys. Um, we would 
drink good beer together and also crappy beer and play darts and have a great time and, and we have very similar senses of humor. We like, we enjoy similar activities. Uh, Finish each other's sentences. Oh, there he goes again. <laughs> you guys. Oh, it's like I just flutter in my heart every day. And we just, uh, we just, I think I had mentioned I wanted to do a podcast at some point. And Mark came, the way I remember it, I'm, I, I, I'm sure it's a little fuzzy, but Mark came in one night and we were, we were putting down some tigers and playing darts and having a good time, as, as we were do many nights a week. And he just kind of like half turned to me, he's like, sexy meat talks. And then it just like, not, I, I remember distinctly, he didn't say anything else. And I was just like, go on. What does this mean? <laughs> Explain yourself a little bit. And he's like, All right, "Let's let's do the talk thing. Let's do the podcast." And the it, talk it, thing. It, I don't it, think you said talk. <laughs> That's what came when, out of when, my head. But. When when I, when Josh um, told me about podcast, I I'm like, "What is a podcast, anyways?" I'm like, and like Josh is like, "I'm sure you've watched a podcast. Have you ever watched a an episode of YouTube?" And then like, okay, and I figured out, oh, I watch hot ones. I, I know what that is. And then he goes, "But." Podcasts can be just audio, they can be video, they can be on many platforms, but, and then, um, it's funny that our very first interview ended up being Fred. Fred has been doing podcasts for years, and I had been following him and watching his little clips, but he didn't have, like, a weekly, he just, whenever he had a big beer event or beer judging, or, you know, he was traveling all around the, the world with craft beer, because that's how plugged into it he was, and then I, I realized, like, and that's when I said to him, I was like, what kind of podcast would I want to do? It's like, I've quite enjoyed some of these TV shows talking about food and telling stories. And it took us a little while to develop what our podcast was going to be. But Josh penned a, a little header that's on our podcast page now, just saying an inside look at the food and beverage in Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to tell the stories. Um, um, like, we're telling our stories now, but... You know, we have chefs, we have butchers, we have brewers, we have uh, anything. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, we, we also plan to do a podcast with you um, coming on an episode of Sexy Meat Talks. So, but, and and we'll, we'll be asking you a lot of things related to food and beverage, you know. But, um, yeah, that's really how it all developed, just out of the conversation, playing darts. and Some of the early energy too, which was, that, that's when we knew what we were doing was something fun, because uh, we we were both kind of like cutting each other off to try and just get the ideas out, so we were like, oh, we could do this, we could do that, we could do that, and uh, Mark is a, a, a wonderfully creative person, and so it's, it's really fun to just bounce ideas off of, and uh, we, early on, it was just like a giddy kind of energy, which any good project should have. Uh, some so some projects, uh, you know, may lack that. I'm not saying that that makes a bad project, but like, I guess that's how you know you're doing something that you got passion for. Because I was thinking about it all the time, and it did take us a while to get it going. But it was mostly you know, Mark was opening many different locations, and I, I do work full time, um, so it took a took a bit of time to get off the ground. But um, uh, it was that 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 you know I'm sure. Some of your early podcasts with this, I'm sure, felt very similar. Like you're just excited to be 
just getting getting that thing on tape, getting those conversations uh, out of people's mouths, and like, and then you can just further the conversation, and that was exciting because I I actually I I want to do a, a podcast since I I first got here, um, but I never met anyone who I thought uh, I clicked well enough with to do. But I knew I didn't want to do it myself because I'm. Uh, Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, so um, it's, it's, it's also been fun, like figuring out how it all comes together. I mean, um, I was mentioning it to uh, this guy Oliver, who's um, Oliver. What's his last name? Wood or I forget. Uh, is it Woods? It might be. Oh yeah, Ollie, New Zealand though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, he we hired him uh, at our barbecue restaurant. Well, at our our whole company to do our website web utilization, and he's really good at that kind of stuff. That's his his area of expertise. And uh, I was at the craft beer festival having the beers with him, and I'm like, yeah, me and Josh are starting this podcast. We've already recorded our first few interviews, and and then he jumped in. He's like, oh, you, you do this, do this. He goes, I I just I've started a few podcasts, and he he kind of like. Then me and Josh are having beers with Ollie, and, and all of a sudden he's telling us, uh, taking a look at our Facebook, and he's setting it up for us, and he's like, can you make me an admin so I can jump in, and I, I, I'll, I'll get you, I'll make you guys famous. Yeah. <laughs> he's that well, he good, listens to, to this podcast, so... Uh, uh, what's up, Oliver? Yeah, Ollie, why do you not offer to help make me famous? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Oliver, so, honestly, I'm astonished. All right. So, um, yeah, but it's so, and that's also something cool about the expat scene here. And, and we're all, like, we're signal boosting each other. We both know Oliver. Oliver is offering to help with, you know, and uh, also um, uh, we got Mervin who's done photos for us and video. Yeah, thank him. Yeah. Um, and I, there's other guys in our, we, we have a, a friend of ours, Jason, who's a regular at Shaggy's. Uh, he's an he's an excellent artist and animator. He's doing our logos and and it's all like passion project. You know, mm-hmm. like as soon as if we ever do get sponsors and and get some money, we're going to be happy to reciprocate with these people that are yeah putting us on the map for the first time. It's interesting. Have you joined any like podcast groups on Facebook to like help or like kind of become? Have you done any of that? Like any resets like that? Not groups actually. Not. I'm sure they exist. I mean, no, there's a few shockingly that bad part of them. Media. And one of the things that people often ask is, you know, how do I monetize? You know, I'm, how do I get a sponsor? And I'm like, you haven't even done your first episode yet. Like, I never got into this to get a sponsor. Like, I don't oh. even. I just want to. I'm just I, doing this as a passion project for a hobby. Like, uh, but you know, the, I think the for me, and I, I think also Josh is, it's it's fun to tell these stories to people. You know, we're living here and experiencing it, and what better way to share it than with a podcast, you know? Um, and uh, the more people we reach, the, the, the more I want to do it, you know? The, the, it's like, and I don't mean having a commercial for, we have talked about my restaurants a lot, but we've also told our story of who we are so the listeners know where we're coming from. But, you know, I, I just, I do build myself as a meat expert and specialist. That's, that's what I do. And I'm a, I'm a brewer of 20 years and a huge part of the craft beer scene. So I very much am connected directly. It's, it's my life's work. It's my passion is the food and bev in the city. And Josh, the journalistic side, it just, we, we seem to have all the parts to make, make 
what I think is really interesting and fun content, and we have a lot of access to the whole industry because of the people I know, my peers, you know, the, the greatest chefs in the city I know. I've, I've had beers with them. We've shared stories, and we share suppliers, and we, we tell each other how to help each other out, and that, that's... And, and, a, and a big thanks to you for reaching out to us. That was, you, you, you messaged us and uh, very quickly set, set this up, which was, uh, again, that's just an exemplary of the scene. That this is, this is why I stayed out here. It was why so many people stay out here. And, and just so it's clear for the, the listeners, we're, it, I, this is one side, we're going to do a part two. I don't know if we said that up there. Not yet, so you can explain what. So I said at the beginning, we're going to do a crossover episode. Uh, so this is part oh, one, did, yeah. which is, so part one is 7 million bikes. So we're mm-hmm. interviewing in my, in my arena, sure. which is my front room. Uh, and then do you want to explain about part two then? Well, part two, we, we just, we want to go through our, our standard set uh, podcast with you. Um, which is highly improvised. We do have a, a, a group of questions that we do like to ask. And uh, um, it'll be an extension of what we're talking about today, really. And also good, uh, a thank you for having us on, and we, we get to have you on and do a couple of uh, things we like to do with our guests. So, so I guess we'll switch roles right, so right now. I was going to ask you earlier, so right now I would say that you are the interviewees. Have you found this different to being to doing your own podcast? Yep, sure. This is this is a a a, a, a joy and a pleasure. I I got pins and needles uh, right when you were introducing us. I was like, oh, I, wait, this is the first time this is happening, and it was that was it was a cool feeling. So. Um, I love attention. It's very meta right now. We're on a podcast yeah, we're with podcasters podcast. talking about podcasts. Like it's a... it's also a biological phenomenon because she is so quiet. But um, what's different is, and I think what will be different for listeners of each show is, we're I'm being interviewed as a podcaster, but also what am I doing here? Because that's the content you like to look for, and uh, I um. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever been interviewed as a podcaster, so this is an exclusive. <laughs> cool. Well, I, did, I was going to ask, because I didn't get this part, what was your background in Chicago, or that suburb of Chicago? That um, so, the, before Vietnam, and what got me into, what, what got me into Vietnam was my, my, my barbecue and my brewing. Um, I was brought over here to make beer and barbecue for Vietnamese, that was it. How I got to that point in Chicago was, um, first job was a pizza kitchen, um, uh, 15 years old, worked there just two and a half years, it seems like a lifetime, because it's such good memories, um, super busy pizza kitchen, I mean, you, you, you clocked in at 5pm, and you threw down your handful of raw Italian sausage at 12.30 at night, and it feels like the whole thing was a blur and flew by in a minute, um, and I loved it. I, I, I didn't stop working pizza kitchens. I wanted to have my own pizza restaurant. Um, by the time I was 21, um, yeah, I, I uh, my dad talked about taking a loan out on his house to help me get into my first restaurant, and I I, I was terrified of it. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll ruin, I'll ruin my, my dad's life if I don't succeed. So it, it was just too much money. I, I couldn't get in the door. So, um, when I was about 20, 
22 or 23 years old. Um, I got a job at a Chevy dealership. Initially, it was driving driving a truck, parts truck, and then eventually made it into the parts department, uh, online sales, and the web was brand new, and I knew a little more than, than everyone else in, the, in that parts department. But it, it uh, I carved out a cool, you know, cool job. I was selling parts on eBay and setting up an eBay store from just... I don't know, it was a great nine to five job. I liked I liked working with the guys, but it didn't quite pay all the bills. You know, I was at a very low middle class level. But I started making frozen pizzas. Me and my cousin teamed up. We had shrink wrap machines, and we'd make sometimes over two, three hundred pizzas a month, and selling them at eight bucks a piece. Uh, my my middle class income kind of jumped up to the. Uh, comfortable level i had my own house i had my own car and paid my bills on time could barely afford to save up enough money to take a trip to vietnam and that that that's that's where it led um all those years of cooking the passion never died um i had three weber grills a big texas smoker in my backyard and i would uh every weekend if i wasn't getting paid to, to do a party or an event of some kind, I would still be in my backyard lighting it, trying new things. I, I just, and I, a lot of times I'd, I'd do it, I'd barely even eat it. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd make up beef ribs and this, this, and this, and then on Monday I'd come into work and be like, here, here, Bob, here, here, guys, you know, try this. What's that? Oh, this is a beef rib, and this is with the, this kind of sauce, and it just, the, the passion was there. And I, I had a lot of people telling me, why, what are you working at a car dealership for? Why aren't you doing this? I'm like, I haven't really had the opportunity. So, that that was the pre lead up when someone asked me i i had to take it seriously because it was the first opportunity like i could really have my own restaurant holy crap you know and was he uh yeah it, the opportunity for me the american the american dream was possible in vietnam so and yeah nine store nine restaurants strong and a beer truck even after after i i arrived i um the restaurant did well right away um i I didn't really think it through. I'm like, you know, you know. I, I told myself when I was coming over, I'm like, what? You know, I asked myself, what happens if I don't do this? And you know, I'm like, if I do do it, if it fails, I can always do what I'm doing right now. I, I didn't hate my life. I just had the opportunity. And I go, but if I don't do it, nothing happens, and I'll never know. And I'm like, that's a no-brainer. You know, and it was that 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 was the thought process. But even after the restaurant was open, I'd sometimes I'd wake up. You know, I, I got to go to the restaurant at ten o'clock and open up. We open at four. We, we back then I wasn't the one opening the restaurant. I was we only had like fifteen employees. You know, now we've got four, close to four hundred. Um, I remember five months after I was here and the restaurant was busy and I was making money. I was paying myself and. I was I, I loved and I loved the life here, but I, I'd still wake up and say, "Why am I here? What did I do? Where, where's my house? You know, where, where's my life?" And it, 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 it was just kind of dawning on me that like this is it. And I, I a good, you know, I'm married to a Vietnamese woman, and I have a Vietnamese family here now, and my half of my life will always be in Vietnam. I mean, there's no exit plan. There, there's just. I guess what's next? <laughs> uh, my wife and I still do it on almost a weekly, maybe even daily basis. We're like, we live in Vietnam. 
Like, what? <laughs> how do we, how do we, like, we have a dog? Like, what's going on? Like, <coughs> I guess maybe similar to your family, like, we have a, a family here, so, yeah. I always, I always think of that exact point when I listen to, what's the Talking Heads song? Yeah, once in a lifetime, it's that exact realization, like, this is really my life, you know? Yeah, same as it ever was. Yeah. Same as it ever was. Oh, it's that song, I know that one. That song, to me, when I hear those lyrics, it's just telling that story, and I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> This is the last set of questions for season one. I'm thinking of changing them for season two. We've had ten sets of answers. So if anyone has any any thoughts on new questions I can ask people, or if you guys do, let me know for season two. But season one, we'll do it quick as you can. Top three Vietnamese foods, Josh. Buntit Nung, Bun Cha, and Mi Wang. Mine would be pretty similar, yeah. There's one that I really, really like that is very specific, and that's that Tung Hung noodle place. Uh, on Chen Hung Dao, it's a Vung Tao noodle. Um, it's a pork rib broth, um, and you choose between pork balls, dumplings, and shrimp. I always get the 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 dumpling is like the greasy bunch of pork inside it, and and the shrimp. And you can get that bowl of noodles um, only at that place. So you know, it's their own unique soup. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I love Kaolao. If you've ever been to uh, Hoi An, that's my my all-time favorite noodle dish in Vietnam. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a big fan of Boko because it, to me it's 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 home comfort food like beef stew, but it's it's the Vietnam version. Well, you know, it has that anise and all those unique spices to it. So I, have you heard us talk about this? This has come up actually a couple of times on the podcast in the past because uh, I think it was with Misha's episode because I was talking to Misha and seeing how I'd had bar coffee for breakfast that day and I was like, I just had beef stew for breakfast. Like, if you were back home, that would just seem so surreal. Right? Like you would My happen. first breakfast in Vietnam was fish cake. <laughs> I was oh, yeah? at six in the morning before going on a photo shoot with my friend Jake in Da Nang um, that wasn't my all-time favorite because I, I didn't really care for it for breakfast that much, but I did have it for breakfast that day. And Jake was telling me this is a very common Vietnamese yeah. breakfast. It was just fish cake. You know, they mash the fish up yeah. and cut into little strips. And I'm eating. What am I eating? The fish cake. Okay. It, it tasted just yeah. fine, but it was an odd breakfast. Well, this is the last episode I had with uh, with them. The, uh, we talked about Bob Carr again. The, and, yeah, that was yeah. three. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I, I can name so a few good. more, but yeah, I... Yeah, we could go on all day, couldn't we? <laughs> right. So, uh, Josh, now, we're, we're going to eliminate beer craft from this question. What's sure. your favorite beer and favorite bar? Favorite beer? Uh, I'm, I, I've, I've thought long about this. I'm moody, so I, I changed that, but my go-to at the moment is East West's uh, uh, Far East IPA. Okay. And your favorite bar? Uh, that would be Fat Shaggy's. Nice. Alright, we'll, we'll give you, you can tell us your favorite beer craft beer since you make it. And then your favorite non-beer oh, craft man. beer. They're like my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a favorite kid, I don't, I don't well, know. Don't I don't let the other to. kids know. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a really tough one, but I would, I would have to say, maybe because it's one of the beers I'm most proud of too. Um, and it was the first beer craft beer, is our Don Chok Tao Pale Ale. Um, it's not the one I drink the most. Because it's a little higher in alcohol, but that, that's that's where it all started. And, and actually, that recipe was one of the first uh, pale ales I ever made in home brewing 18 years ago. That was the first grain, all grain beer that I had ever made was that recipe, and I liked it so much that I never 
all the different styles I learned how to brew, I never changed it. I, I'm like, I just love how that turned out with that grain bill and that hop content. And yeah, so. So favorite non-beer craft beer and favorite non-beer craft bar. Okay. Uh, non-beer craft bar. Oh, that's Kwan Utu. No, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> No, um, uh, God. I'm, you know what? As a favor to all of, of the craft beer guys out there, because I love all their establishments, I'll just say Fat Shaggy's, because that's my, my, my hometown dive bar in District 2, and it's probably where I spend more, more time at that bar than any, so a shout-out to Paul and Tom with Fat Shaggy's. And then so your favorite non-beer craft beer? can be any beer. doesn't have to be a craft beer. Favorite um, beer? No, I, I'll, it, any of my favorite beers, it's, it's going to be a craft beer. I could, I could say um, lately um, the, the Pale Ale from uh, East West is a very good one. It uh, very much reminds me of just like a good old Sierra Nevada. It's a, a nice, hoppy, uh, easy drinking pale ale. So, yeah, the, I, don't, I forget what the nickname of that one is. Far East, right? You said it? No, Far uh, East is Far the IPA, is a, IPA, IPA. Yeah, that's, that's the turquoise uh, label, darker. Yeah, the, the, the green labeled oh, East the West one, their pale ale is really nice. Can't remember. Is it just called pale ale? I don't think it has a name. They, or does it have a name? I can't remember it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, where's your favorite daytime place to drink? Uh, coffee. You can uh, choose the drink. I really enjoy Agnes Cafe. Although recently I haven't been there in a, I haven't been there recently, but Agnes Cafe or really any any place downtown with plastic stools and street side access. Just watch just I'm a I'm a people watcher. So Well and um I would say and this is brand new for me, but I I'm absolutely telling you it, it's my honest opinion. I really enjoy wherever our new beer truck is parked in the daytime. We did a, our first ever launch. Uh, I felt like I was in the parking lot of a Grateful Dead show, you know, standing around with people drinking next to a truck. Um, it's just a cool feeling, you know, it's, and Vietnam hasn't had that. And it, 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 uh, I know it's not fair because it's my own <laughs> business, but I'm being very honest. That's cool. It's a lot of fun. Last night we were sitting outside on the tables in a, in a construction site where we had the truck parked, and it, I just, I really enjoy it. No, I think it's a fair enough answer. And so, um, you've had this question before, why do you choose to stay in Saigon? Why not go back home? You don't, you know, you got, that's what the, the reason for this question is we're expats, so we can do that, right? Maybe not you, you got family now, but Josh, why, why do you stay? The community, and I honestly feel, I, I love my family back home, and I feel that I've, I've gained family out here. Uh, I've, I have some very close, wonderful friends and keep meeting new people all the time like yourself and it's it's the community yeah um yeah the reason why i stay it's the more time that goes by and the more the more i i guess accomplish and, and my wife and i have family here now um the it just seems like the more i the more i get the more i want you know of, of vietnam in general um I I I, re I realized that over the last year or two that I'm like some part of my life is going to be in Vietnam even if I if I make it to 70 years old I'm going to be splitting time between here and home at, back in Chicago. Cool. What one thing would you change about Saigon? 
similar to like Manhattan big cities, I would restrict car access to like District 1. And I, I, I respect uh, and I totally understand when the Vietnamese want to join their their vision of the, I guess, the rest of the world and have a car and, and get to show that off. I, I, I get that. I'm not that type of person myself, but I, I do. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that, but currently the infrastructure doesn't really support that. I, I do like motorbikes, and, you know, I think that if they would just re- reduce the, you know, certain areas and make certain streets one way, I, I would just I would just adjust traffic. Uh, I could agree with improve the traffic. <laughs> That's probably the, the, one of the most dangerous things. I was actually in a, a, a not too minor because I broke six bones, but... Um, in February, and it was just daytime. It wasn't because I was, I have uh, overserved myself and caused problems ways back, years back, but that was actually, I was at work. I was driving over to one of our restaurants, and a, a lady just turned right in front of me with no helmet on, and yeah, I was forced to choose between running her over or ditching the bike, and then ditching the bike is what I did, and just Broke some ribs, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd agree with Josh that that yeah. is probably the biggest concern. And when people are visiting this country, I was always like, you get used to it, but it, it is it is a, a lot of control. So, Mark, what's the most misunderstood thing about Saigon? Um, well, I, for me, how it occurs is um, a lot of my family back home they don't understand. Um, like my mom in particular. She's, she's like, do they have phones? You know, she'll, she'll, she'll ask, like, I'm like, Mom, there's 10 million people in this city. They, they, have, every, they have high rises. They do? Um, but even, like, you know, the guys I work with, you know, they're asking these really, I'm like, yes, they, they, they have internet. Yes, we have smartphones. Yes, we have internet. Uh, you know, um, I, I think a lot, what's misunderstood is um, the Vietnamese have a lot of freedoms, and, and expats working here have a lot of freedoms that they don't have back home. And uh, I, I think that's very much true. I, 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 yeah, I, I can't vote for who's in power, and, and it's a one-party system, and you've got to accept what they say. But your personal freedoms, you actually have more of them here. And, and I, I think a lot of people misunderstand that uh, with never coming here you know, or, or experiencing. And Josh? I completely agree. I think that the there's a contrast between what a lot of people in especially particularly in America I think because of the American War or what we would call the, the Vietnam War um, there's there's this uh, general misconception with like uh, how Vietnamese view America I mm-hmm. think even today even though relations have been normalized for more than two decades at this point um, yeah I, I, I Fully agree with Mark. And then quick answer, favorite place to get out of town? I, I guess I'll say Sapa. I, I just went there for the first time, and I wasn't able, it was just business. But what I saw, I, I'm going to take my wife there next time I get out of town, and it is just absolutely beautiful. Mm, beautiful up there. Josh? I really enjoyed Fuwak. Yeah. The island. Uh, just being a little part of that slice of life. Yeah. <laughs> So, final question. 
Um, what advice, Josh, first of all, would you give to somebody who's thinking of taking that leap and coming to move in, in Saigon? Which, from our conversation and others, it, it feels like nobody really makes that decision to come yeah. and live here. People come to visit or they come to for a month or two and then suddenly it becomes their life. But if someone's thinking of living in Saigon, what advice would you give them? Uh, if you're if you're a youngin, say under 30, uh, just do it. Come out for a year. Try it out. Uh, if, if you're someone over 30, do it. Come for a year, try it out. <laughs> I think that's our beer. Josh getting a phone call this right is... as we're about to finish okay. and, and Mark has to leave, our beers have arrived. Mark, you're going to finish off Hello? the interview. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of moving here? Um, my, my advice would be um, thinking of moving here, right? Relocating? Mm, yeah. Um, if you have any, any opportunity to do something here, jump on it. Because um, I, I think grow, me growing up as an American, a lot of times people say when opportunity knocks, it's always the, you know, you, you jump on it. But then there's always buyer beware, you know, what, what are they really selling me, you know, and, and you have that uncertainty. Um, I had it about coming out here and opening a restaurant. The, a lot of the things we said in this interview, there is a lot of opportunity here. So if you if you have an opportunity to come come to Asia and you're thinking about it, um, just ask yourself, oh, what happens if I don't do it? And then to me, when I said nothing happens if I don't do this, it, it gave me the, the the courage and the strength to to get out there and give it a try. So, that's a great that's a great piece of advice. I've liked hearing the answers to these questions and. Because some of the wisdom that has come out has been really good, and that, I think that's one of the best ones is what happens if you don't do it? Nothing happens. Yeah. You want nothing to keep happening? <laughs> then just go on doing that. Yeah. And you, if you're okay with nothing happening and you like the, the, the situation you're in, then, then yeah, then that, that you can live with that answer too. So we're going to wrap up. This is, as I said, a crossover episode between 7 Million Bikes and Sexy Meat Talk. So part two will be... Um, the three of us again, but this time I think we're going to be interviewing at Beer Craft, right? And I'll be on the other end, which will be strange for me, I guess. I'm going to be the interviewee. And we're going to ask you all about uh, your perception of the food and beverage industry. <laughs> and, and what, what is sexy meat? I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I think um, to wrap up, this is the end of season one. I've realized something just um, recently was I think the sign of a good interview or even a good podcast in uh, episode is always wanting more and I found from in this episode this interview included I want to I could talk for longer you know like we could talk for more and every I think everyone I've interviewed up throughout it and at the end I'm like I wish I'd asked them that or I wish we talked more about this maybe we should do another episode and I can and re-ask them all these questions so for me I think that's the sign of a, of a good podcast I guess and a good interview is, is that does you want more from it so I hope that the listeners get that feeling as well um and I hope you've enjoyed uh, this interview, this podcast, and uh, the whole season. And so, guys, thank you so much. Thank Just you. quickly before we finish, then tell me what's what's next for you guys. What's happening? Uh, well, we'll definitely be doing an episode with you in the future, hopefully very soon. And uh, our next episode coming up will be with Dave Byrne, who's a brewer. David Byrne is uh, brewed all over the world. Well, in Asia and in the United States. And uh, it was a really fun interview. So that's, fantastic guy. That's next for us. And then uh, for Beer Craft, what's on the horizon? So the ninth, the ninth well, restaurant is opening. Yeah. So we, like I said, we we will uh, we'll be announcing very soon. 
uh, the exact location and yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about the new, new Beacraft coming. Uh, I think we, in our company, Quan Udut, you know, owns both Beacraft and Quan Udut. Um, we have, uh, four, four new locations by the end of the year planned. So, wow. awesome. Uh, let's hope we hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so listen in for part two. Now, where can uh, people find, if people are listening on this podcast, where can they find Sexy Meat Talks? Well, around Podbean, which is an app, or uh, also a website, which you can download from, uh, and we're going to be on iTunes, hopefully within a day or two, and, and Apple we, Podcasts and all that stuff. And also our, our Facebook page, okay. uh, we post uh, bi-weekly episodes every other week. Cool. Um, yeah. All right, so look out for part two there. Check it out, guys. We'll wrap it up. Thank you very much. It's Thank been you. awesome. I'm looking forward to part two coming onto your turf. Sounds good. Well, thank you for listening to the final episode of season one, Seven Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I know that I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to all of our guests. And as I mentioned just at the end of that episode, um, Every episode I've always wanted to know and ask more and so maybe in the future we'll have some guests back on. But for now I'm going to take a a small break thinking of guests for season two. I'm already getting lots and lots of requests. I've been introduced to some really interesting people so right now I'm just trying to figure out what season two is going to look like and when I'm going to start but that should be the beginning of September would be the first episode of season two. In the meantime listen to any episodes that you you haven't had a chance to yet. Please send me any feedback. I do love hearing from people. That's been one of the most rewarding things. You can get me on Facebook or 7millionbikes at gmail.com. As always, a massive, massive thank you to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music. I really don't think this podcast would be listened to as much if it wasn't for him. So thank you, Lewis. Thank you, Delaine Wynn, for the helping me design the cover art. That just looks amazing on all the platforms, whether it's Facebook, um, YouTube, Instagram. You can get us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, all over the internet. So it's been fantastic to see as well. The podcast has been listened to all over the world, nearly every continent. Um, regular listeners, people giving feedback. It's actually like completely surpassed my my um, expectations, and my expectations were not very high at all. And so um, it's really been amazing to see that people are enjoying it, sharing it, talking about it. And um, as uh, somebody who does comedy, and you see an instant reaction to what you're saying, it's very strange to sit and record something and then put it out. And then you've no idea what people are thinking. So when people do give feedback, it does mean a lot. It does help me understand um, how it's all going. So it's great to hear uh, when people do get in touch, that they are listening, that they do enjoy it. And if anyone's got any feedback, positive or negative, then please let me know. As I said, I'd love to hear from you. But other than that, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And now, don't forget, go to Sexy Meat Talks on Podbean and you'll get part two of this episode where I will be interviewed by Josh and Mark, and so I hope you enjoy that episode, and I'll see you on Sexy Meat Talks.
hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.